Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you for your holy Shabbat that you have given us to be able to come together and worship before you. I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it be your word received, your voice heard, and that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained for your purposes. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. So this morning we are in Parsha Vayetzeh. Uh, this is dealing with the actual journey of Jacob from uh, Beersheba, from uh, uh, Isaac's house to Haran, to Laban's house. Laban is uh, Jacob's uncle. He's Rebekah's brother. He's the one that tried to hold up Rebekah when uh, Eliezer came to, uh, to, to the family and, and asked her to be Isaac's wife. He's the one that tried to hold her up while Bethuel, their father, said, yeah, take her, go for it. Um, now is his time to actually try and hold up uh, what's happening. And as we move into this, there's, there's a lot that happens in this Parsha. There's a lot going on, uh, but we're going to try and, and hone in on, on a general concept here that I think, uh, that I think the, the Lord wants us to, to pay attention to that I think is highly valuable for us as believers. So if you'll open up to Genesis chapter 28, beginning with verse 2. I'm sorry, beginning with verse 10. It says, Then Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran, he went upon, uh, happened upon a certain place and spent the night there, for the sun had set. So he took one of the stones from the place and put it by his head and lay down in that place. He dreamed, and all of a sudden there was a stairway set up on the earth and its top reaching to the heavens. And behold, angels of God going up and down on it. Surprisingly, Adonai was standing on top of it, and he said, I am Adonai, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. You need, your seed will be as the dust of the land, and you will burst forth to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, and in your seed. Behold, I am with you, and I will watch over you. And wherever you go, uh, and uh, I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I have promised you. Uh, so right out the gate, a little Hebrew lesson for you. Uh, Jacob is leaving Beersheba, which is uh, the, the um, well of seven or the well of blessings. Uh, this is the, remember Isaac wrestled with the, the people of Canaan over the various wells that Abraham had dug over the years. And finally he came across one that he didn't have contention over. And so he rested there. Beersheba is where he kind of uh, uh, landed and set up his uh, base camp, if you would. And it means place of seven or oath, a week, a, a rest. It's a place of rest spiritually and physically as Isaac was finally able to rest physically and in suit was able to rest in the presence of the Lord spiritually. So Jacob is leaving Beersheba, which is connected to the blessings and promises of God and specifically connected to the rest in the presence of God. And he's leaving Beersheba to go to Haran, to the place where uh, Abraham was called out from, to the place where Bethuel's household is, where Laban is, where Rebekah is from, ultimately where he finds Leah and Rachel. Uh, and as he's going to Haran, he's 
leaving Beersheba, which is the place of blessing, a place of rest, and he's going to Haran, which is a, a, a word that literally means parched, and it's from the root word incite, uh, which is to incite, means to incite anger or wrath. Uh, so he's leaving the place of God's blessing to go to a place that incites wrath and anger, to go to a place of parchment where you're thirsty constantly. So he's leaving a place with uh, with living waters to go to a place where he will be parched, where he will be thirsty, where he will incite wrath and anger. And ultimately, that's what he does. Laban chases after him to kill him, just like his brother chases after him to kill him. So here Jacob is, is hauling uh, as quick as he can to get away from Esau. We can imagine that Esau is likely chasing him, or at least Esau's children and servants are chasing him to kill him. Esau wants him dead. And he knows it. And he's running. And, and as he's, he's moving, he comes along to this place. And uh, he decides, all right, I'm going to sit and rest. It's getting dark. There's not much more I can do right now. And they really couldn't find me in the dark anyways. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and, and, and lay down and take a rest. Now, how many of you ever, uh, and I've said this before, but how many of you ever looked at a rock and went, you know, looks like a good place to lay my head and sleep, right? Nobody thinks, hey, a rock, that's restful. I honestly think that Jacob chose a rock to lay his head on to try and stay awake. He wanted to keep one eye open just in case Esau snuck up on him. He wanted to at least be able to have a shot to get out of it. But in spite of what he was trying to do, the Lord put him to sleep. And I imagine it was something like a trance that he put Peter in on the rooftop in Acts uh, uh, as we read about his vision of the sheet coming down. Uh, but he goes into this deep sleep and he has this vision, this dream that he dreams of a, a ladder. Uh, the Hebrew word there can mean stairway or ladder, but this, this ascension uh, mechanism from that, that rested on earth and in heaven on the other end. And he sees angels going and coming up and down this ladder. And at the top of the ladder, and I, I love that the, the wording here in the TLV says, surprisingly, Adonai was standing there. All right? So he sees at the top of the ladder, these angels are going and coming. The, the malachim, the messengers of the Lord are going and coming. And at the top of the ladder is the one who sends the messenger. At the top of the ladder is Adonai, is Hashem, is the Lord Almighty standing there. And Jacob looks up in his dream and he sees him. And the Lord begins to speak to him. And he says, I am Adonai, the God of your father, the God of Isaac, and, uh, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. These are the same words he spoke to Abraham, the same words he spoke to Isaac. Uh, he's renewing this covenant now with the next generation of the covenant. Your seed will be as the dust of the land, and you will burst forth to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, and in your seed. Again, that idea of seed, and that in your seed is referencing to Mashiach, not to the twelve sons of uh, of Jacob, but specifically to Mashiach, to Messiah, through whom the entire world is blessed and will be blessed uh, uh, in the days of Jacob, through whom the entire world will be blessed, and in our day, through whom the entire world is blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I promised you." Lord says, look, no matter what happens, no matter what you do, no matter what's going on, I've got your back. All right, now keep in mind, the Lord is saying this while Jacob is running from a situation that's put him in death's way because he stepped outside of the will of God, because he tried to make God's plan for his life happen on his own account. He's running 
away from the will of God, which is for him to stay in Canaan, in what would become the promised land, Eretz Yisrael, the land that he is saying, this is an eternal covenant for you and I will bring you back here. He is leaving this land that the Lord said that Abraham and his descendants should never leave. He's leaving it to leave the will of God because he stepped outside of the will of God. And yet the Lord is standing here before him saying, listen, I know, I've still got you. I know Esau's chasing you. I'm not going to let you die. My promises are through you. My blessing is through you. Just like I told your mother when you were in the womb wrestling with your brother Esau. I don't like how you went about it. I don't like how you made this work out. Nonetheless, it's still my will that all of this is going through you. So I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to protect you and I'm going to guard you and I'm going to bring you back to this place. So Jacob, verse 16, Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, undoubtedly, Adonai is in this place and I was unaware. I want you to understand this is a recognition that Jacob's having at this very moment, but it's a recognition that I'm almost certain each and every one of, this, of us in this room have had at some point in our life or another. Because no matter what we do, no matter how far we walk away from the Lord's will for our life, and no matter how badly we represent the image of Messiah that we are to live as, the Lord's always with us. We may not recognize it because the cloud of our own stink may be blocking our vision, but he's always there with us. And I can guarantee there have been situations in your life and in my life, and I know in my life without a doubt, that I've walked away from things and went the only way I'm alive right now is because the Lord had my back. And I can promise you that some of those situations were at my lowest point in my walk with the Lord, not at the highest point. He says, undoubtedly, Adonai is in this place, and I was unaware. How painful of a statement to have to make. How painful of a statement to have to make to recognize post that the presence of the Lord was in this very spot, that I was in the midst of his presence and I was not aware. I wasn't awake to recognize it. So he was afraid and said, how fearsome this place is. This is none other than the house of God. Bethel in Hebrew, this is none other than the house of God. This must be the gate of heaven. Now I want you to understand this is a very unique place. Rashi says that the location that he was resting on when he had this vision and this dream of the ladder from heaven is none other than Mount Moriah, also known today as the Temple Mount. And we look at this text and we go, you know, that's probably true. That's probably true. Because we know that the Lord gave Moses a vision of the tabernacle that was a mirror image of what was in, in heaven. He says, you're to build it exactly as you have seen in heaven. We know Yeshua has ascended to prepare a place for us, which, by the way, I don't think is literally, as the allegory is mentioned in the gospel, I don't think it's literally a whole bunch of mansions. Like, we're not waiting on real estate in heaven. He went to prepare a place for us. What's the place that we interact with the presence of the Lord? The tabernacle. The tabernacle was made in the image and likeness of what Moses saw in heaven. He went to prepare the tabernacle, his dwelling place for us to dwell in. Not living places that we can live away from his presence. I believe that this is likely Mount Moriah. That this is likely the Temple Mount, where the temple ultimately would be built. Where the presence of the Lord resided. The scripture tells us that when Solomon finished the, build, the building of the temple, that, uh, that last 
a, a day after they finished, they dedicated the building, and they'd gone through the whole procedural and everything, that immediately the presence of the Lord fell on that place. And it was so overwhelming, as it was with the tabernacle, it was so overwhelming that the priests couldn't even walk in, to the, just to the outer courts. Scripture gives us an idea that what happens on earth should be in alignment with what happens in heaven. So if the tabernacle with the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies, where the mercy seat was, where his presence rested in the midst of the nation of Israel, if that was in the tabernacle, and that tabernacle is a mirror image of, of what's in heaven and what the Lord has gone to prepare for us, then it's likewise that the Holy of Holies, the throne room of God, the mercy seat in heaven is where he rests in heaven. It's also likely that when the temple was built, because it was specifically built in a location, that the Lord said, this is the place. The Lord said, once I give you the place where my name is written, that is where you will build, uh, where you will make sacrifices from here out. You cannot make sacrifices anywhere else but right there. Why? Because that's a direct line to heaven. It's a direct line to heaven. You remember the old thing we used to do as kids. I don't know that kids do it anymore because now they got cell phones all the time and all this garbage, but we used to do the thing with the soup cans and the string in between and you talk back and forth, right? It's a direct line. We've got a direct line to, to heaven, literally in our prayers and in our interaction, our communication with the Lord uh, and our in interceding on, uh, with the Lord. But, but the reality is, is in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount where the temple stood, is a direct line. It is literally the one place on the face of the planet where earth is literally in line with heaven. Now, what's going on there right now and what's gone on there throughout history with the Jewish people and the things that occurred in the tabernacle and the temple and so on and so forth wasn't necessarily in line with God's will or with what was happening in heaven, but that place, the place where the Lord has placed his name. I want you to understand the value of this location. Mount Moriah is the greater, Mount Zion we call it now, is the greater mountain, but it's made up of two specific levels. The first level, which is about halfway up, is what we call the Temple Mount. Mount Moriah, where the temple stood. The same mountain, just a little bit higher, and those that go with us next October will be able to see this in person. The same mountain, just a little bit higher, where the actual peak of the mountain is. It kind of plateaus at the temple mountain, goes a little higher, and that's the Mount of Olives. So Messiah will return, will descend upon the Mount of Olives, and Mount of Olives will split in two. He will enter into the temple here on earth. He'll walk through, blow through the gates, and enter into the temple here on earth. Jacob, I think, was speaking prophetically without realizing he was speaking prophetically. So he says, undoubtedly, Adonai is in this place, and I was unaware. He's resting in the literal place that the presence of the Lord was designed by God to rest in the midst of his people and at his in the land of Israel. His head is resting there. And lo and behold, even though he wanted nothing more than to get a little sleep and hope that his brother didn't slice his throat while he was asleep. He still had this fantastic and phenomenal encounter with the Lord. And what strikes me the most about this passage isn't just surely the presence of the Lord is in this place and I was unaware. What strikes me more than that is what happens next. Verse 18, early in the morning, Jacob got up and took the stone which he had placed by his head and set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, the house of God. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this way that I am going and provide me food to eat and clothes to wear and I return in shalom and peace to my father's house, then Adonai will be my God. So this stone which I set up as a memorial stone will become God's house. And of everything you provide me, 
I will definitely give a tenth of it to you. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. He's just had a literal encounter with the Shekinah, the divine glory of the Lord. He wakes up from this deep trance and says, Surely the Lord, undoubtedly the Lord was in this place. And I was unaware. He says, Clearly this is the house of the Lord. This is Beit El, the house of the Lord. But then immediately afterwards goes, But, you know, I know you're ill. Just had a conversation with you. I know you love me and you want my worship and my love and you want nothing more than to bless me and yada, yada, yada. But I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. If you make sure I go on this journey safely and I come back here safely, when I come back here and I know that you've done everything that you said you're going to do, then you'll be my God. Then I'll worship you. Then I'll worship you at this place. Then I'll give you a tenth of everything you've given me. It says, if you do all of the things, Lord, you say you're going to do for me, then you'll be my God. How many times have we found ourselves in that position in life? Lord, I got this power bill coming up. I'll tell you what, I know, know I haven't been given like I'm supposed to. I know I haven't been tithing right. I know I haven't been doing everything you say you want from me, but Lord, I, I promise you, I swear on my mother's grave, that if you just make sure this happens for me, if this bill gets covered, I'll start tithing immediately. I'll start showing up for services right away. Lord, if you'll just give me a job that allows me to have Shabbat off, I will do all of this stuff. I'll do this, and I'll take care of this, and I'll worship you this way. Lord, if you'll just make sure that this plays out right, or this plays out right, then I'll give you my whole heart. How many of us have heard stories from friends that said, I got in this really nasty car accident, or, got into this incident where I was about to die and I just cried out to the Lord and said, if you just bring me through this, I'll serve you. The problem is, why does it take us getting to the dire straits to recognize that all God wants from us in the first place is our worship and our service? Why is it we have to make God follow through on his end before we'll follow through on ours? Why is it we always have these conversations with the Lord post him doing everything he said he's going to do for us. And then we expect more. Why is it we're constantly dragging him along, leading him on? Jacob is a great man of faith. Jacob is a man that we look back at, and I mean, even in our prayers, I lost all the words there. My mind just went blank. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Our prayers begin with, Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and then God of this jerk, Jacob. Look at his life. He's a train wreck but yet the Lord chose to use him. And lo and behold, he did finally return to the promised land. And in spite of everything that had happened, the Lord did in fact take care of him and protect him and provide for him and did in fact increase his descendancy and his numbers and did in fact bring blessing to the world because of him. 
And when he did go back to the promised land, he finally gave his life to the Lord in a way that we can look up to and go, that's a righteous man. But it was towards the end of his life. It was late in his life before he really did that. See, there's some really neat comparisons and, and correlations that occur in this Parsha. First and foremost is Jacob's and Rachel's encounter at the well is reminiscent to Eliezer and Rebekah's encounter at the well, except in reverse. Eliezer was there on behalf of Isaac and Abraham because Isaac wasn't to leave the promised land. And he encounters Rebekah at the well and, uh, and he says, Lord, I trust in you. I trust that you're going to provide for uh, my master. So here's what I want to happen. And when this happens, I will know it's your will. And she comes and does exactly what's, and then she runs back to the household and tells her father, Bethuel, and, and Laban and the whole household. And then uh, they rush out to meet him and he goes and, and meets with them. And here Jacob now has left the promised land when the descendants of Abraham weren't supposed to. And he's gone to uh, to Haran, and he's at the well where the shepherds come to get water for their sheep, and uh, he meets uh, Rachel, and everything that goes down, and he talks to her and has questions. He goes to Laban's house, and he tells him everything that's happened and lays it all out there, um, and all of this is happening in reverse, but it's the same exact scenario as Eliezer and Rebecca. We go a little further, and we realize that uh, we see the correlation uh, of yet another generation of barrenness or of infertility issues um, as we look at Rebecca battling fertility issues and, and that in literal response to Jacob's treatment of his wives um, and the way he interacts with them. We see a correlation uh, uh, between um, Jacob and the things that are happening with Jacob and what's going on in this whole narrative uh, where Jacob wakes up and he tells God, as we just said, uh, you know, if you do everything you say you're going to do, um, then I'll come back to this place. And when I come back to this place, I'll worship you. And it's just like Moses on Mount Sinai before he goes to free Israel from Egypt. And Moses is on Mount Sinai and the Lord calls him and says, I called you, go and let my, set my people free. And Moses says, well, how will I know for sure that this is a God of my forefathers that has done this. And Adonai's response is, when you have gone through everything that I'm doing for you and for my people, you will know for sure it was me when I bring you and my people back to this mountain to worship me. And sure enough, they go back to Mount Sinai and they have the encounter with the presence of the Lord and the voice of the Lord comes forth and they hear the audible voice of the Lord speak forth, the Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. But in contrary to that, Jacob says, if you do all of this stuff and bring me back here, then I'll worship you. Moses is already encountering the presence of the Lord. And granted, Moses argues and negotiates back and forth. But ultimately, Moses leaves to do what the Lord said, following through every step of the way. And he brings the people back to worship God at Mount, Mount Sinai. And what we realize as we look through this is, I honestly believe Jacob is a shining example of our own lives. Because far too often, we find ourselves in the position of Jacob running from the world that we have created for ourselves, from the situations and the problems that we have allowed to occur, from the things that we've put ourselves in. And then we're crying out to the Lord, look, fix all of this. If you fix all of this, I'll give you my life. If you just make all of this right, I'll, whatever you want, I'm yours. But what the Lord wants is for us to be his before we make a mess of everything so that everything doesn't become a mess. 
Imagine how much different things would be if Jacob and Esau had simply let the Lord make things happen the way the Lord wanted it to happen. Imagine how much different life would be, how much different the world would be, how much different the body of Messiah would be than what it is right now. We see another example of something similar to this in uh, Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 16. It says, Now behold, one came to him and said to Yeshua and said, Teacher, what good shall I do? To, or what, shall I, what good shall I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about this, about what is good? Yeshua said to him, There is only one who is good, but if you want to enter uh, into life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he said? Yeshua said, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice these are all commandments that are further explained in all the rest of the commandments. But more so, these are all commandments that are absolutely impossible to honor without the Lord inside of us, taking care of all the internal mess so the external follows suit. Verse 20, All these I have kept, the young man said to him. What do I still lack? Yeshua said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go sell what you own, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he had much property. Then Yeshua said to his disciples, Amen, I tell you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and said, Then who can be saved? Now keep in mind, the people that are astonished are the ones that when Yeshua said, come on, let's go, and they went, all right, cool. And they went with them, right? You read through the beginning of John, you read through the beginnings of the, 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 the Gospels, and we realize that the Lord's walking by. He goes, hey, Matthew, come on, let's go. And Matthew's like, all right, cool, and drops everything and follows him, right? Hey, John, come on, drops everything and follows him. So they cry out, then who can be saved? And looking, at, looking Yeshua said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said to him, look, we've left everything to follow you, so what will we have? And Yeshua said to them, amen, I tell you, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne in the new world, you who have followed me shall also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my name's sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Many of us in this room right now, many of us listening to this message on podcast, understand what's going on here. We've literally walked away from everything in order to follow Messiah the way that the Word of God has called us, the way that the Lord has put it on, on our hearts. Jewish people, literally, to follow Messiah, have to give up our entire family. They denounce us. They deny us. They bury us in the ground and act like we're dead and never talk to us again. Gentile believers coming out of churches start to hear, oh, you've got to be careful, it's a cult. You've got to watch out, they're Judaizers, they're trying to bring you back under the law. You've got to be careful, that's not the body of Messiah. That's false teaching, that's whatever. We literally walk away from everything 
to live this life of faith that the Lord has called us to. And the outside world may not necessarily understand it, but the reality is this is what the Lord has prescribed. Not that it's a necessity, not that our family is going to hate us no matter what, and not that they'll never come back around, but the Lord has called us to be willing to walk away and give up everything to follow him. So I want to encourage you, think back in your life now, the people in your life, the goods in your life, the finances in your life, all of the possessions we may have. If there's anything in our life that we're not willing to walk away from if the Lord called us to do so in order to follow him wholeheartedly, it's probably time to get rid of it. It's probably time to clear it out of our way. Because see, Jacob, Jacob wasn't willing to just follow the Lord. As a matter of fact, it took him 20 years more before he was finally mentally and spiritually in a place where he was willing to follow the Lord and to trust in him. The Lord stood before him and spoke promise and blessing over him and conferred the covenant of his forefathers upon him personally. And his response was still, if you do all that stuff, then I'll worship you. But until then, leave me alone. How many of us have spoken to the Lord like that in our own lives? In our Brich Adashah Parsha this morning in the Torah service, we read these words from John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Yeshua decided to go to the Galil, to the Galilee. He finds Philip and says to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the same town as Andrew and Peter. Philip finds Nathanael, Natanel, and tells him, we found the one that Moses in the Torah and also the prophets wrote about, Yeshua of Nazareth, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Nazareth, Nathanael answers, could anything good come from there? Philip said to him, come and see. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming toward him. He said, look, a true Israelite, there is nothing false in him. Rabbi Nathanael answered, you are bin Elohim. I'm sorry, he said, uh, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Rabbi Nathanael answered, you are bin Elohim, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe me, Yeshua replied to him, you will see greater things than that. And he said, amen, amen, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God going up and coming down on the Son of Man. The Lord has seen you. The Lord knows you. The Lord knew you before he formed you in the womb. The Lord loves you. The Lord has created you and called you specifically for his purposes. The question is, are you willing to live for his purpose? Are you willing to live for everything he wants to give you and do for you and do through you? Are you willing to be like Nathaniel, who flat out when the Lord said, I saw you under the fig tree, I knew who you were, said, you're clearly Ben Elohim, you are the king of Israel. I give you everything. Are you willing to be like Nathaniel? who at the very behest of the call of God are on top of it and running with it, like Abraham when the Lord said, Lech Lecha, get up and go. 
Or are you going to be like Jacob? Or like the rich man in Matthew? Who just flat out said, eh, I can't give up everything. Look, I'm willing to do all this, the physical, external stuff, but walking away from everything I've built, I can't do that. I can't do that. I've known and talked to pastors who have built up monster ministries only to be called out of them to a Messianic Jewish life. And they had to walk away from everything. And they'll tell you it's the hardest but best decision of their life. I've seen people who have built up monster fortunes that caught the vision of the Lord, that caught the spirit of the Lord and chased after it and said, who cares about any of that? I don't need any more of that. But on the contrary, I've known people who even in the call of the Lord cared more about chasing after the dollar bill and ultimately walked away from Messiah. We don't have a promise of tomorrow, people. We don't. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. So we can't keep procrastinating on what the Lord has called us to do. We most certainly can't keep procrastinating on giving the Lord our all, our everything. We cannot procrastinate any longer on loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. We can't procrastinate on loving our neighbor as ourselves. We cannot procrastinate on reaching the lost with the message of Messiah through our lives before our mouths ever open up. We cannot waste that time anymore. And I truly believe that we are in a day and age when the Lord is speaking over the body Messiah, get in line or get out the way. Because we have enough fools out there making a mockery of the presence of the Lord. What the Lord wants is true, righteous, wholehearted, holy people. Set apart righteous and holy for His purposes, for His kingdom, to bring about the return of Messiah. And he's called you and I and every person hearing these words to answer that call, to no longer be like Jacob or the rich man, but to instead be like Nathaniel and all of the Talmudim, the disciples who walked away from everything in order to follow him. You think you got it rough because your family gives you a hard time? Stephen was stoned to death. You think you got it hard because your friends and your coworkers give you a hard time? You think you got it hard because people look at you weird because you don't like to live like everybody else and party like everybody else and dress like everybody else and uh, talk like everyone else? Peter was hung upside down on a cross. You think it got hard? They tried to kill Paul over and over and over and over and over and over again. But there's one thing that stands true no matter what. Yeshua said, they won't hate you because of you. They hate you because of me. Keep walking in the love that you first knew. It doesn't matter what happens in the world around us or what the people we interact with do. Nothing but blessing can come our way. Nothing but good for the kingdom of God can come our way. Doesn't matter what the enemy tries to throw at us. The Lord's standing there at the top of the ladder looking down at us and realistically we aren't even worried about a ladder anymore because he's now here in our hearts. 
And he's speaking the same words he spoke over Jacob. I got you. I will protect you. I will care for you. I will provide you. Know that I have called you and made covenant with you so that you will be a blessing to the world around you. So it's time for us to stop being greedy and selfish. It's time for us to walk fervently in the presence of the Lord as he has called us and redeemed us to be and to live. Father, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. I have no clue why you have chosen me, why you have chosen anybody in this room, why you have chosen humanity in general. I have no clue why you created us in the first place. Because you knew the decisions and the, the actions we would make in our lives. But Lord, you still love us. You still cherish us. And you still call us to be your own. So Father, I pray, in the name of Messiah Yeshua, that you will pour out your mercy anew that you will continue your work of redemption in our lives. And Father, that you will make your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, and your Shekhinah, your divine glory, prevalent and fervent in our midst. Father, that we may be used by you for the good of your kingdom, not our own. Amen.